Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm still post-COVID-y, thank you for asking. But apart from that, I'm fine. Just, you know, the terrible cough and the almost narcoleptic constant falling asleep. I mean, I've checked with the government and I've got to tell you, we're all post-COVID-y, so we're fine. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore. Well, I wish you, obviously, a speedier recovery than you seem to be having. It's mainly so- really dull. Like, it's really boring to have anything continue for this amount of time that isn't fun well here we are another episode we're very excited about this one florence and tim two lovely lovely people but before we get to that i wanted to know how jewish has your week been my week has been amusingly jewish in that after we finish this chat today I'm off to Devon to do a gig tonight on a boat. Well, it's kind of, it's a cafe bar in the sea. I mean, not underwater, like floating on the sea. I think I thought it was like the end of a pier or something. And it turns out, in fact, we have to go to a ferry point and it's 40 minutes out at sea to this cafe bar. That's international waters. Almost definitely. Maybe we can get away with like, you know, stowing our money somewhere for without paying any tax. I think that's very unlikely but when I've mentioned it to people like all the comedians keep saying oh that's going to be tough because if the gig doesn't go well you're obviously still stuck out there until the ferry comes later to bring you back at the very end of the night which is you know one important take on it but any Jewish person I've mentioned I'm doing this gig to has said oh what are you going to eat you're going to have to be there a really long time are they providing you with food (laughs) what are you going to have are you allowed to bring food with how's it going to work that's been the only concern I just want to reassure everybody that I've popped out. I bought some kosher sushi so I could be at one with nature and be eating the fish while hovering over the fish. Obviously, listeners need to be aware that we are recording this a couple of days before you listen to it. Therefore, at this stage, there's every chance that Rachel has been lost at sea. (laughs) And also, obviously, if you're listening to this on Friday, I'm not doing the show on Shabbat. No, she is not doing the show on Shabbat. She's doing a different show at home yeah the candle show yeah it just really made me laugh that everybody just kept saying to me well what are you going to eat for all that amount of time as if I hadn't already planned it the minute that I got offered the gig that wasn't the first thing I did was think about what I was going to eat what about you Philip what's been your most Jewish moment of the week well we did one of our annual family holidays to centre parks which I think I've spoken about on the podcast before they are epic there's about 14 or 15 of us and uh, this year we had two dogs. Last year it was one dog. This year, two dogs. Um, thank you. I'm, I'm imagining next year we'll add a hamster or a rabbit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we went to Centre Parks. It was lovely. It was it was hell with obviously the children in confined cabin. But actually the, the weekend itself was really, really lovely. Spending oh. time with my family is it's growing on me. Not going to lie to you. <laughs> um, they are listening to this. Therefore, I have to be a bit careful about what I say. It's a very interesting place to go to when you have so many different dietary requirements we've got kosher we've got non-kosher we've got gluten-free lactose-free we've got diets happening so there's a lot to think about whilst on the one hand that can become very frustrating if you are not in one one of those particular camps it actually is quite nice to see how we can all work together to make a success of our time out so we always cook meals beforehand so we prepare food in advance we take it it's an epic mission i mean my mum is military grade excellent <laughs> getting this to happen we are largely passengers on this ship and it yeah it was good it was the first time i think we'd been to center parks where there weren't a load of jews because normally we go there when the jewish schools are closed for whatever festival but the regular schools aren't So there's loads of Jews who've taken advantage of that kind of gap to go. This was the first time also we've gone for a weekend, not a week, uh, a long weekend, uh, Friday to Monday. So also meant we were contending with Shabbat. And that's just something about how families, I guess, pull together and they work together and they make things accessible and easy for everyone. Yeah, that's how families should work. Funny you mention about the dogs because I've had quite a dog focused week as well because it was my dog nephew's birthday. Now you're making a face. (laughs) Your dog nephew, what? So my brother in law and sister in law have a dog, an old English sheepdog. And yeah, so it was Ernie's first birthday and they invited us to come and join them for a party at a dog cafe, which is attached to a specialist dog pet shop. Half of the place is the pet shop and half is the cafe. And they have like food and drinks for humans and food and drinks 
for dogs. So you're supposed to come there with a dog. A bit like, you know, you're supposed to go to the children's playground with a child. And so there were loads of different families with their dogs. And then we had like a big table for our family and the dog. And there were balloons for the birthday dog. And he got a birthday cake, like a dog-friendly birthday cake and cards and we sang happy birthday and it was all very good fun sorry 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 <laughs> i can accept that you did a dog friendly cake okay but you got cards i got a card it had on it a rabbit and a squirrel and a hedgehog because those are things that the dog likes right but you know what the dog doesn't like is cards that's ridiculous well first of all i think dogs do like cards because they like chewing them up and making a mess with them but also it's not just about the dog, it's about the family. And my little nieces were so excited that the dog got cards because, you know, made them happy. So, you know, when you said about how you worked around your diets as a family to make sure everyone felt happy and relaxed, I wanted my nieces to be happy. So I got a card for the dog and I celebrated his birthday. So the dog was one. I mean, are they, are they going to do this every year? I don't know. Maybe only up until he has his bark mitzvah. Oh, that's very good. But I can't <laughs> enjoy it. I can't enjoy it because I, I know you're going to want to get it cards or something or little tullis to wear. Well, my daughter-in-law's dog had a bark mitzvah and she has got a photo on her fridge of him in his special kippah with his name on it and a special cake. And listen, when people have dogs, they become a member of the family and that's fine. I'm, I'm on board with that. But I have to say, in, in a week where we've just had local elections, I really hope none of these people vote. <laughs> uh, I, I hope none of these people have a say in how society is run. If they are having mitzvahs for their dog, I can't even say the name of it, mitzvahs <laughs> for their dogs or birthday parties with cards for their dogs. I mean, if everyone loved even... each other the way that people love their dogs, then the local elections would be a more joyous experience for all of us. But it's funny as well, because when it comes to this week's episode with the brilliant Florence Schechter and Tim Samuels, who you mentioned before, is we mm. were actually joined for most of the episode by Florence's dog, Scruffy. Yeah. And when I was listening back to the recording, I realised that because we chatted quite a bit about Scruffy before we started. The listeners won't know that until we started going, oh, where's Scruffy? And um, I think then we have to like <laughs> kind of try and explain. Yeah, possibly. And the other thing was that Florence had COVID at the time of the recording. Yeah. And I'd forgotten that, you yeah. know, she had to contend with not only her poorly COVIDness, but also scruffy and his needs so there you are lots to think about whilst listening to but it was a joy it was a joy to put together and we really enjoy chatting to them and i think you're going to love this episode as well we have a little content warning this week not for swearing but perhaps unsurprisingly there are some biologically appropriate grown-up words for body parts used in this episode enjoy the show <laughs> Hello, I'm Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Reform, so when it comes to voting, I stand to the left. And I'm Orthodox, so when it comes to voting, I also stand to the left, unless there's a man there, in which case I stand to the left, but upstairs in the gallery. This show is the audio equivalent of the local elections. Some people really look forward to us. We divide opinion, and if you're not happy with the result, then don't worry, there'll be another one before you know it. In each episode, we chat to two of our favourite Jews about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Do they love an election or a deli selection? Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. So let's introduce our guests. Our first is a science communicator and founder and director of the Vagina Museum, Florence Schechter. Hello, that's Hi. me saying hello to you. Oh, hang on a minute. Where's Scruffy gone? It's just on my lap. Okay, I was all prepared to introduce Scruffy as well, because although our listeners won't necessarily know unless someone walks past your window, in which case Scruff is going to... They'll know. know. I wanted to let you know that Scruffy is very welcome as part of the show yeah. as well. Our next guest is an award-winning documentary filmmaker, author and broadcaster, and also the man behind the eldest rock group in the world, the Zimmers, Tim Sam. 
Samuels. Hello, hello. Hello, hello Tim. Samuel. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that we always like to find out how guests describe their Jewish background. You already know that I grew up in an Orthodox family and Philip grew up in a Reform one. But what kind of family did you grow up in and what kind of Jew are you today, Florence? How about you? Well, technically went to a Mazzotti shul when I was a kid. Mum's Orthodox. So that was kind of the prevailing feeling. But my dad and his whole family are from the Soviet Union where like branches I suppose are less important and more just like we should just survive mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of my background I definitely see Judaism as more of like a heritage and an ethnicity definitely loads of cultural stuff with a little bit of like religious stuff as well I sort of like pick and choose <laughs> which I think it's fine I think that's what everybody does if, if you've got a black furry hat on or not I think you're still picking and choosing Absolutely. yeah yeah and what about you Tim what kind of Jew are you I grew up in Manchester and was dragged kicking and screaming to an orthodox shawl I used to hide in the cupboard on, when it was Hader <laughs> hated it my my first notable experience was aged five in the kiddish afterwards challenging and my friend Howard to a Palwyn's drinking contest. Interesting. I knocked Age five. Back. Age five. I knocked ten wow. back. He knocked seven. Then we both threw up in the Kaddish. Um, <laughs> I think that was my that was my protest. Uh, I couldn't drink red wine for 20 years after that, but that was my protest and I hated it. And then at some point during my dad's second marriage, I got put on a bus and said, you're going on Shemesh. And I said, I have no idea what this is and just cried. And I I was being sent off to RSY. And after arriving, realized it was amazing. And I could chant and meet really hot girls from London and play football. (laughs) And that sort of transformed Judaism for me, RSY, where it was fun. and And I kind of understood what was going on. So I guess I've gone from a kicking and screaming token Orthodox, but not really, to reform. But, you know, it's all pretty diluted these days. RSY is Reform Synagogue Youth, which is... snappy title. It's the reform movement's uh, youth branch that I also grew up in, which is how Tim and I know each other. I'm not going to lay comment about the women he spoke about from... But nice to see you again. I liked in your story the idea that you were hiding in a cupboard and that's risky in a synagogue setting because if it ends up being the Ark, then uh, there's a point in the service where you might become something very visible among the tourists. Which would be brilliant if that was halfway through your pal wins drinking contest. (laughs) They opened the Ark and you and your friend were just there with number 10 bottles strewn all over the place. I need to see like a, you know, those like work mockumentary sitcoms. Uh, like the office and whatever, but it's set in a shawl <laughs> and all of that happens. I'd need that comedy. And then people would like hold their, their talus up and kiss me <laughs> as, we, <laughs> yeah. as, we, as we paraded around. <laughs> On people's shoulders. Don't say anything. Yuking everywhere. Yeah, yeah that would be very dramatic. It sounds like it sounds like a fun upbringing one way or another. Yeah. I am questioning though why you had access to the Palwins before the Kaddish. Mm. Well, to be fair, it's when they lay out the tables. Mm. Well, in my shawl, the kids actually like set up because we were all so bored they were like hey why don't you help set up all the food and the drink and stuff that all the adults are going to have and we would hold you know the trays of wine and whiskey and we felt so important because we were Mm. like i'm eight but i'm giving men whiskey i'm I'm (laughs) you're a shotgun there is better than the other way around (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's true Florence, what do you think is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? I've been stuck at home is the problem. Mm. Oh, I'll tell you. Can I tell you like a side thing? Like it's connected to me. So one of my friends, she's a theatre director and she's working on one of her new plays. And she shared on social media the work that she did with her cast. And Mm. it was a, a blackboard. And the heading said... Things you can't explain to Gentiles. Oh, there was things like Fleischik and Milchik and stuff. But I thought that was a fun thing to think about. It is a fun thing to think about. I've I've seen that as well recently. So, I mean, I imagine because I've also got theatre backgrounds, we probably have a million people in common. I think I've seen the picture of that. But it became like a big thread on Twitter. Things you can't explain or things that make no sense if you're not Jewish. And there's stuff Mm. like, do you keep three hours or six hours? It seems so random. Once I start saying anything like that, 
people ask me a lot of questions because I'm orthodox and in a generally not only like not an orthodox but not even a Jewish setting and there's a point at which the questions start to be yeah I can't answer this in a way that's going to make me sound normal like there's no way <laughs> yeah what about you Tim anything Jewish occurred well I mean most days something but uh I think <laughs> last last week I was at the physio doing exercises to sort out a bad back I don't know where the bad back very came Jewish from. I think it's, I think mm-hmm. it's sort of gen- genetically may have been from carrying the tablets down um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah epigenetically I'll, I'll defer to Florence on this but something was triggered uh, and then <laughs> so I was in the I was doing um, these exercises with the physio who's like a real sort of no nonsense like Arsenal supporting lovely guy quite a geezer and I did something I overexerted and felt what could only be described as a peri umbilical hernia pop out oh, wow and I got the physio and I made him place his hand on my belly I said can't you feel that little knobble of muscle and he, he was all very blokey about it but yes so while fixing in my back I'm <laughs> induce a hernia which um I'd like to think is you know I sort of started off orthodox ended at reform uh, <laughs> two religious experiences in one uh, so I also might say that I started this morning with a cold shower because you know that's what every self-respecting man does these days but do you mind if I just go and turn the heating on because I'm freezing <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Back, back in one sec <laughs> <laughs> the problem is I suffer from sort of a particularly advanced Jewish hypochondria where I think, well, you would think you're real because you're a bit of a hypochondria. So I then ignore things. Oh, so I, I, kind of, I kind of get to the next level. And then I, I did eventually sort of call the doctor and say, this is, you know, it's, it's a bit sore. I've got this little marble of muscle sticking out. And she said, oh, well, if, was it tender? I said, yeah. She said, well, that, you should have gone to A&E for that. It could strangulate. Oh, wow. I was like, I'd already sort of dismissed it as, oh, I would think that. So um, to all Jews listening... <laughs> go, go, go go with your hypochondria don't don't ignore oh that God. voice you, just, you went from it. hypochondria and all the way out to the other side yes straight through to make it a really jewish podcast i will share with you my hernia story <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we've all we've all got a story but i i had one about 10 or so years ago i was doing some puppetry that ultimately led to a lot of heavy lifting and it exacerbated something that was already there but i went to the doctor to have a checkup and he sent me to a hernia specialist and he did that really annoying thing where he checked it did all the prodding and everything else and said to me so what do you think it is i was like i don't know that's why i'm here I think they must have seen a lot of Jewish patients to ask that question. Like, what do yeah. you think it is? I think it's chicken pox, but my mother thinks yeah. it's, you know. But, but, then, but then he said, then he said, Could do you a think it's a hernia? And again, I was a bit confused because that's his job, not mine. And I didn't want to be dramatic. So I went, I think it's probably a strained muscle or something. And he went, no, it's a hernia. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bizarre. So yeah. We're getting you involved in your medical diagnosis. I mean, I'm, I'm all for sharing autonomy, but that, you're just to diagnose and then treat. I'll lie back and think, think of England. It, whilst I'm getting a second opinion here, Philip, do you think it is a hernia on me? <laughs> well, if you're why, listening, why you I just want to screen? say we haven't seen it. So. <laughs> we're we're going to go full screen and then uh, then we'll all have a look and we'll, we'll put the screenshot out for our listeners. <laughs> My brother's a doctor, actually. So if you want me to get him on like a WhatsApp call, I can hold it up. What's yeah. his speciality? Pediatric cardiology, but I'm sure he's a Jewish man. He can still my dad is such a hypochondriac and he's so happy that he married my mum who's a pharmacist because he can just go straight to her every time he's like sue i have a headache do i have meningitis he's like no chill out do you think being a pharmacist is a bit like the equivalence of being a feeder Feeder. you you marry a jewish man because you know (laughs) you're going to be able to treat him he's never going to leave you i'm going to write that down You wait, you'll see me on live at the Apollo. <laughs> I mean, in the audience. I'll let, I'll let my, <laughs> let my mum know she inspired a joke today. That'll make her really happy. I think joke's a bit uh, premature, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> I, did, I did date a doctor once, in fact, twice, but it didn't turn out well. I mean, it was like a perpetual busman's holiday. <laughs> it was like, listen... I know you've just like come off A&E, but wouldn't mind just checking this out, could you? That, do you think that looks normal? Oh. Do you think after dating your first doctor, you thought, I need a second opinion? <laughs> Another doctor. Yes, they both, they both said undateable. Oh. <laughs> Florence, have you ever dated a gynecologist, given your museum? No, I have not. <laughs> Uh, but my my sister is currently training to be a doctor and she is considering 
becoming a gynecologist or an obstetrician and i really want that because then we would be like the vagina sisters true yes i mean in some ways you already are it's true it's true do you want to know a really jewish thing that like overlapped with the vagina museum though is that one year we put out a hanukkah card and it said labia menorah and it had like a menorah and the flames were little vulvas and the number of people who messaged me saying that's not a menorah uh menorahs have eight and then the hamash and i was like no you're american you call that a menorah in england we call that a hanukkah and a menorah is the one was in the temple and i had to make this argument like a hundred times on twitter because they were all like you should have consulted the jewish community before oh, you I love that. Like this. And I'm like, I am Jewish. <laughs> Shut up. The number of people who like uh, accuse me of cultural appropriation and like religious insensitivity. But it's that's crazy, like a very anyway, good joke. Sorry, but also no. Jews love a Volvo. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we've talked a lot about hypochondria. It's clearly a Jewish podcast. We have to talk about food as well. So do either of you have any particular strong food memories? It could be a meal or it could be a, just a favourite Jewish food from growing up. Do you have Jewish foods that are particularly uh, important to you, Tim? I'm a very late in the day devotee of the Babka. Ah, interesting. Maybe it didn't get as far as Manchester. You know, we sort of poured downtrodden northern as the, you know, the Babka <laughs> sort of stopped at Borehamwood. I don't know, but I, I discovered it in lockdown in right. a place called Shook in Borough Market, mm-hmm. which is run by some um, some former RSY types. Did you grow sure. up with Bab? Was Babka part of your childhood? Yeah. Right. Was it part of everyone else's childhood no occasionally but it's definitely got like trendy recently yeah it was a special occasion treat it wasn't like a daily treat i think i've never heard of it until bake-off and then when they announced they were doing a jewish episode or or whatever i got oh i'll know all of this and they said bobka and i really questioned my heritage because i'd yes. never heard of it it really was the highlight of lockdown for me was uh, i mean i, I know this scant competition between sort of that and uh and, and having a walk with two people in the park but it was uh <laughs> the most extraordinary babka they put kind of cookie dough in it and it is sensational i mean i'm clearly not a very good food writer i'm not i'm not exactly Faye Mashler. i'm not really describing the experience <laughs> terribly well but if you like a bit of babka with a cup of tea i mean i'll, I'll defer to you you guys is, is Babka a new thing? Is it, has it just come over here? Is it, have people just been hiding it? Yeah, it's the opposite of a new thing. It's what my <laughs> great, 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 great grandparents were eating in the shtetls. But um, it was on Bake Off. I think yeah. they did Babka on mm. Bake Off. And mm. suddenly everyone was bubkering all over them. I love it when that happens, but it's so weird. It's like when everyone starts yeah. making challah. Like, just leave us something. Do you know what I mean? Leave us leave us something. Food is all we have. Food and illness. That's all we have. Yeah. And matter sort of became a sort of the alternative to, I don't know. I used to work in a pupil referral unit, so with excluded kids. And the administrator of the unit, not Jewish, no one was Jewish. I was in Eltham. She used to eat matzah because they sold it in the big Greenwich Sainsbury's in case any Jews were passing by. They had like a little kosher corner. She got really into matzah and I, it just always threw me. Don't Why would someone eat it by choice? I love matzah. Don't get me wrong. I love matzah, but not that not that particular brand. I'm not going to say which uh, brand because you never know. Someone might sponsor us one day. But um, <laughs> it was. I just always found it just completely surreal to walk into the staff room of this unit outside there was some kind of chaos going on someone trying to set fire to somebody or whatever and she'd be sitting in there every lunch hour eating her matzah my matzah That's so weird yeah. I, I like to think the um the canadlach remains culturally unappropriated no one's taken that office yet not even the safadis they don't like it no it's a, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lovely thing though to find bobbing in your soup a yeah. good canadle hard to beat i do wonder maybe philip when the doctor was checking that possibly it could have been a canadle that was just lodged <laughs> near the umbilical cord <laughs> undigestible out. one that just yeah. got its way down there <laughs> that's super traumatic oh, as a thought quite possibly yes yeah you were quite excited the other week we do like a little weekly torah portion segment for our patreon called the portion portion and uh we discussed linzer cookies the other day which i grew up with but philip hadn't heard of did you no. either of you have linzer cookies linzer what not. are those they're a bit yeah, like jammy dodgers but with like a, a colored filling in the top bits there's a certain uh, torah portion where they're traditional to make but i think that is a very german jewish thing i mean kosher huh. biscuits aren't known for their <laughs> 
quality. That very much depends on who's cooking them, Philip, actually. Oh, there goes another sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or perhaps, indeed, a Bruegus. I mean, I just add it to our list of the things that we resent about each other after working together for like eight years or however long it's been. What could be more Jewish than interrupting our own show to remind you that back episodes of the podcast are available on all of the usual platforms, as well as our website, jewtalkingtome.com. And as well as catching up on things you've missed, why not be the first in line to hear all future episodes by subscribing to our Patreon? For just a small monthly donation, you'll get exclusive access to free gifts, bonus footage, live events, and much, much more. This is your chance to support the podcast, in return for which we'll keep doing what we've been doing, as well as putting out extra content just for you. To find out more, just go to patreon.com forward slash talking without the G. Go on, it's what your mother would want. And now, back to the show. Florence, how about you? Any food memories? Oh, okay, okay. So I have a Jewish vagina food overlap. Which Interesting is... intro. Check your interest <laughs> on that. Well, there, there's our promo. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, the second I say it, you're going to be like, oh, I see where this is going. Hamantaschen. Ah, I can okay. see where it's going. Basically, there's this theory that hamantaschen actually originated as a vulva cookie. So we're always told, right, it's like Haman's ear or Haman's hat or whatever. Extremely dumb. No ears are that shape. And no Persian was wearing a tricorn hat or whatever. And you might say, oh, well, Haman is in the name. But if you look at the origin, like the etymology of it, man in Yiddish is poppy and tash mm-hmm. is pocket. So it probably used to just be called mantashin, just poppy pocket. And the heart was added later to retcon it because there's this um, theory that the hamantashin actually originated in a time when like Jews were still kind of overlapping between polytheism and monotheism. Oh my God, this blew my mind when I found this out. Did you know Judaism used to be a polytheistic religion and Yahweh used to have a wife called Asherah, who no. used to have a mother goddess. Behave. I'm going to say, we're going to get letters. <laughs> you can, absolutely not, Like, but this is just thousands and thousands of years ago. Anyway, there was this Sumerian goddess called Ishtar as well, who's like, she's super famous. Like, there's no question yeah, about it. She was, yeah. yeah, exactly. So people think that, because you know, her Jewish name is Hadassah mm-hmm. and her like Gentile name is Esther. And everyone says, Esther came from Ishtar. Ishtar was a goddess whose vulva was holy. And so the idea is like Jewish women would be like, hey, Ishtar, can you bring me some good love and times making a vulva cookie in honor of her? And there's even this passage from Jeremiah where he's like, look at all these annoying Jewish women baking cookies for the queen of heaven. And the queen of heaven is Ishtar. So Hamantashen, actually a vulva cookie. I am so excited for my mum to listen to this episode. I mean, we are going to have chats. <laughs> I'm going to write to my kids' school and get them to change the wording for the bake sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to clarify the theological point then, are we saying we were sort of full-on polytheistic or was it just kind of like Yahweh had a missus? We're talking like proper like 7,000 years ago. So it's very difficult to say, but Judaism was probably the first monotheistic religion in that everyone was polytheistic and there was all sorts of gods. And the Jews were like, I kind of just feel like this one guy is doing it for me. And I'm just going to have him and like no one else. Everyone else is cancelled. And so they kind of picked out an existing God and were like, you're divorced now. That's kind of like the theory. It's obviously like difficult to say 100%. Well, this is where I stop believing what you say, obviously, because as we all know, uh, it's only the year 5,782. So yes, it's all lies. I'm sorry. (laughs) But what a a fun time that would have been there to be there as they picked out the one God. They would have had like an X Factor (laughs) (laughs) audition. There'd there'd be a boot camp. It'd be amazing. You've got to go to the judge's house. Maybe that's what judges is in the the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) It's just Louis Walsh. Simon Cowell. Does that mean like our one just had the best backstory? You know, they came and said, My yeah. nan filled out the form, she was very ill. <laughs> and I thought, Well, we have a cough today, but I'm going to give it 110% because I really want this. Yeah. <laughs> Ours was probably a bake-off. I mean, <laughs> bake-off. Yeah, the, the, the best, The best challah and you, and you get to be the almighty. <laughs> Paul Hollywood there tapping the bottom to make sure there's no, yeah. no sogginess. You get a Hollywood handshake, that's it, you're God. <laughs> Do you think that's the ceiling, Leonardo da Vinci's ceiling is the beginning of a Hollywood handshake? Yes. <laughs>
Jews love a Bruges. We very much enjoy the falling out and the holding of grudges, you know, whether it's which God to choose or the exact origins of Bubka. Do you have a particular feud that you enjoy or you might want to share, Tim? I, I'm not hugely Bruges-y, but I do have um, an ongoing feud. I grew up in deprived Manchester, free of Babka and uh, <laughs> other Germanic cookies that you, you were rolling around with in London. Um, we'll put a helpline number up at this bit, yeah. Yeah, so when I, when I wasn't vomiting Palwins, I was mainly arguing about Man City, Man United, and I have an ongoing dispute with an, a friend I grew up with who's a United fan as to whether City had ruined football or not. When we became part of the Abu Dhabi soft foreign policy outreach to uh, sports wash uh, that great nation's uh, reputation. And it's a strange thing where you um, you take an awful lot of pleasure seeing your once incredibly crappy football team do very well. But at the same time, I have a sort of residual guilt in the back of my mind of where's this money come from so it's a kind of it's a sort of toss-up between human rights abuses versus beating man united <laughs> and, and i have to say my moral compass still hasn't quite landed on the on the right place but yes every time city do something well i'll get a text about abu dhabi's human rights policy and you ruined football <laughs> who's that text coming from is it, is it just friends of yours or is it the embassy <laughs> It is Man, it is Man United friends. Okay. The embassy actually isn't getting in touch. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, Abu Dhabi made friends with Israel. So, uh, of course, you know, they don't hate us quite so much. It's very stressful when politics of the world changes, you know, when you're used to a certain status quo and things improve. It's hard to know what to do with that. Well, it's, a, it's a sort of weird thing where, you know, Newcastle have been sort of bought by Saudi Arabia. Mm. And this kind of weird intersection of like proper Geordie working class football heritage. And, and now they become potentially the richest football club in the world because of Middle Eastern oil money. It's a very strange thing to get your head around. I realise yeah. it's not particularly humorous nor relevant <laughs> to the You Talking To Me podcast. <laughs> I suppose that, you know, the ongoing Bruges for me is a Man City, Man United thing and that's um, it's sort of like Cain and Abel really. I imagine we'll have loads of people listening who identify more with that than any conversation about bubkers. Yes. <laughs> Florence, what about you? Any like long-standing grudges in your family that you'd like to air in public, like dirty washing? <laughs> I think I'd rather not talk about any personal family ones because the WhatsApp will blow up. Um, <laughs> but I am I am known for theological broiguses in that, you know, I was the type of person who had to ask questions, who had to be annoying. Like my rabbi was excited every time I would come in to shul on Saturday mornings because he'd be like, oh, what difficult question do you have for me today? And I'd ask him something like really annoying and he'd love it. But I was sort of semi known at JFS for starting a whole argument in my JS class, my Jewish studies class. My, my Jewish studies teacher said that we have free will. All humans have free will. But another time she said, God knows everything, including right. what you're going to do. And I was like, miss, how is it that God can know what we're going to do? And yet we have free will. Those make mm -hmm. no sense. And the whole class started arguing with and the teacher was trying to prove it to me and it was me the whole class and like four years after that everyone would be like oh Florence doesn't think we have free will and I'd be like no it's not I don't think one the other way I'm just saying it doesn't make sense I'm just trying to guess which of the JFS Jewish studies teachers that was this was like easily 15 years ago so I'm, I'm trying to guess which of the other gods could have won X Factor and made you <laughs> more satisfied with how they're doing their job. I think if Asherah had won out, I yeah. would be really happy. And I would never question religion, ever. I'd be like, you do you, babe. I love it. <laughs> Do you want to know the um, explanation for that that I've learned of late? Oh, go on. It's that Jews believe in the multiverse theory. So although God knows everything, every option and every outcome that everyone might take, it's because like sliding doors, all your options are happening somewhere. All those little connections, mm. all those overlapping decisions and whatever are in the Jewish multiverse. Oh, what? I, I like that. 
I, the second you said, oh, do you want to hear my explanation? I was going to be like, I'm going to hate this. This is going to be awful. But I actually love that, the Jewish multiverse. I'm not 100% sure that every Orthodox person will agree with that, but enough have said it and I think it makes sense. Like that's the only way that you can combine that whole free will and you have ultimate choice, but also there's a plan and God knows what you're going to do. Multiverse. So, it, so in the multiverse, there are sort of countless iterations of ourselves yeah. who've made different decisions doing different things. Yeah, we're all Gwyneth Paltrow. Less candles, fewer candles. But surely when, when there must be a world in which there is not a multiverse. I mean, and so it goes on. And would also, there be different gods in this multiverse? Endless possibilities. But uh, yeah, and every time, every decision we make creates another one or continues in another one. I don't know. But it's quite fascinating. So, sounds exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to make me watch Marvel films very differently from now on. <laughs> Is um, Tilda Swinton God? This is the question. I mean, I've always thought she was. She does have that vibe. Yeah. She's got like that androgyny thing, which I quite like because I always find it frustrating that um, Hebrew language designates gender. And so God is very he-ish when we're very clear that God isn't a human person, so therefore doesn't have that quality. So yeah. whenever I teach a lot of bat mitzvah girls, or I don't really do it so much now, but I have over the years, I've taught like hundreds. And I was always trying very hard to make sure that in their speech, it wasn't like he this, he that, but just, you know, pronouns. Pronouns are important if there's one thing we've learned in the last few years. Did you see on Twitter there was like some horrible right-wing guy who was getting upset about pronouns and he was like, well, we always refer to God as he, so yeah take that and then there was like every jew on twitter was like you don't know anything about <laughs> god i saw a trans right protest picture and there are a load of people wearing t-shirts with hebrew on it that said selem or kim which means in god's image like everyone's created in god's image so you can't start if you're religious you can't start this like hating on everyone who's not exactly the same as you because we're all in god's image I've gone very holy now. I feel like I need to go and do something else for a bit. Also, it relies on the fact that this monotheistic religion with the one God that we've all been created in the image of, it could have gone very differently had that talent show of someone else <laughs> yeah. in post. Well, well so sometimes, the, you know, it's the act that doesn't win becomes most successful, doesn't it? Was it, True. Was, was it One Direction didn't win? One Direction, yeah. So and some, Girls Allowed. So you somewhere, think Satan it... came second? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think at the moment in humanity, he might well have done, yes. Yeah, this is like the backup universe. Yeah. <laughs> so Six Degrees of Cantic Bacon, is there an interesting story behind some Jewish connection that you might have? Florence, how about you? Oh, well, I've got a really fun one and you won't have heard of him unless you have a degree in criminology. Okay. <laughs> But my like great, 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 whatever grandfather is Joseph Grizzard, who is an exceptionally famous jewel thief. And he was imprisoned eventually in the prison that is next door to the hospital that I was born in, in Hammersmith. Am I a Pearl Thief reincarnated? I mean, in one of the multiverses, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> So how long ago was this? Your great, great, great... Uh, this is like 1700s or something. My grandma got really into f tracing the family tree. And like every time it ended up in like Lithuania or something, she was like, oh, guess I can't go any further with that one because that happened a lot, obviously. <laughs> so she kind of went back as far as she could down the English line and found this guy, Joseph Grizzard, and was like researching about him. And she was like, oh my God, he was like a full on famous criminal. That'd be amazing if you were on Who Do You Think You Are? It would be like Taylor, Taylor, <laughs> Rabbi. And then finally one criminal who was like, I can't be a Taylor dad. <laughs> I have to say, when you said about having a background in criminology, I did think you were going to suggest someone who maybe came up with forensic methods or something. Mm -hmm. And then it was brilliant. Nope, jewel thief. Absolutely. Nope. If my family family were ever going to be on the side of like the goodies or the baddies 100% on the baddies oh, but I will say something slightly closer to home is that my own father is Gregory Schechter who's quite a famous klezmer musician and when I had a meeting with the CEO or back then CEO of the Jewish Museum we sat down we talked about museum stuff and she was like oh Schechter you don't, you don't happen to be related to Gregory Schechter. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's my dad. And she was like, he played my wedding. Aww. Aww. Nice. That's a nice story. I was hoping it was going to end with some kind of larceny, but no. <laughs> <laughs> my dad has spent one day in Soviet prison for running an illegal taxi. Wow. So there's that. 
I mean, his father spent 12 years in a gulag, so that definitely beats it. <laughs> you just know that his dad constantly said to him, like, one night, one night. Who do you think you, you are? think you're so naughty and so dangerous? So there's quite a lot of prison in your background. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Some more deserved than others, I, I'm guessing. I feel like I'm a prison abolitionist. No one should ever go to prison, so. Right. The gulag's hardcore, though. Ironically, it was because it was like 1941 or something, and he was a sergeant in the Russian army. And he was like complaining to his sergeants, why haven't America joined the war? Like, I thought we had a peace treaty. Isn't this ridiculous? And someone overheard him, reported him, and they were like, how dare you speak badly about our allies? 10 years in the gulag, political prisoner. Uh, he ended up getting an extra two years for trying to escape. And I just wow. think it's so ironic how the Soviet Union was like trying to protect so fiercely their relationship with America. And now... Yeah, changed a bit. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what was that What was that TV show was. Was it called The Americans? Mm, yeah. Oh, I, I say yes. It depends what story yes. you're about Hell, <laughs> No, I'm not going to say story. I was just thinking about the uh, um, you, Russian you could spies. be about a story about neighbours. So... <laughs> That would, then I would have said the Australians. That famous Neighbours episode about gulags. The Americans was a very good show about Russian spies yeah. infiltrating American life. I don't okay. think there are any spies in my family. But well, I you wouldn't, know. would you? That That's would what you would say. <laughs> Where's that dog? <laughs> He's the spy. Scruffy. Look at his face. Look at that. You can't trust Scruffy. He's the sleeper. Tim, how about you? Any spies in your background? Or jewel thieves? Not to my direct knowledge, but if, I mean, if, if we're going to start off by picking up our dads, my dad, Sefton Samuels, is a, uh, a renowned photographer. But when he was starting out in the, he must have been in his sort of 20s, in the 1950s, he's quite old now. Oswald Mosley, the, the leader of the British fascists and the, and the black shirts, mm-hmm. was coming to speak, I think it was at the Free Trade Hall, a big hall in Manchester. <laughs> uh, my dad snuck in there to try and take photographs of Mosley and kept getting closer and closer to the point where Mosley's bodyguards moved on my dad, caused a ruckus, at which point the police came in, broke up the meeting before Mosley got on stage. And so my dad inadvertently broke up um, an Oswald Mosley meeting in Manchester, um, which was reported. But the, the story of... That's was, really was, cool, by the way. It's like, really cool. Just, uh, I, that and it's in our family and that's badass. And yeah, it's worth so noting that the first time Scruffy barked this entire recording was when you mentioned Oswald Mosley. What a Jewish yes. dog. Oh, yeah. he protects us. I mean, I did get him circumcised, so. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and, dyed his, and dyed his coat from black to brown. Um, <laughs> I've just made an application for a Portuguese citizenship where if you trace uh-huh. back your family, if you're sort of Sephardi and I'm sort of half, and you, you can trace the, your roots back a bit to uh, essentially, it, it's sort of like, sorry that we kicked you out during the Inquisition 500 years ago you know have a passport so i don't know we'll see what happens so i was doing some sort of genealogical research on my uh, mum's side and came across a blood libel from alexandria in egypt in the 1880s which was my sort of maternal family's surname baruch where a jewish family were accused of a blood libel in the 1880s where i think a uh, a Cypriot child had drowned and the local authorities say it wasn't a drowning. It was it was a ritual sacrifice by Jews. And it kind of blew my mind that, you know, as far as, you know, late Victorian era, Jews were being accused of, of blood libels. Mm. Feels like some sort of 15th century or sort of Shakespearean kind of era. It became a cause celeb where the British Medical Association weighed in and newspapers around the world, The Guardian and other papers covered it. And in the end, enough international doctors came forward and said actually no this child died naturally wasn't sacrificed by Jews but as a result the family left and went to Manchester like I could do with an episode of who do you think you are to see whether the reason we ended up in Manchester and coming to England at all was because we were accused of a blood libel in Egypt in the 1880s so I do do need to sort of carry on researching this the documentation's a bit sketchy but I just had one of those moments where this kind of like thousands year old Jewish sort of traditional sort of tenet of hatred maybe the explanation for why we left the Middle East and ended up in Manchester not having any babka but it's, it's just so weird how these kind of historical things just sort of intersect with your own family life that's um, fascinating it's really I'm, I'm really curious yeah. about whether um, your Jewishness has impacted your career then because as a, an investigative person you know your documentary maker do you think that that's to do with Jewish curiosity and the fact of, of having a complicated history yeah I mean I think always 
always been very inquisitive, but I, I have to say, RSY probably did shape my career to some extent because when you become a youth leader, you write programs and you write programs to either the silly things to entertain people on the last night. And a lot of people who go to these youth groups become comedians, you know, like who's lined us anyway, you know, Dan Patterson's show came out of Habanim. And then you look at all the, you know, Dave Baddiel and Sasha Barak, all these people, you know, Dan Swimer. It's all they, they do the last night's funny, the funny shows. Mm-hmm. And some of us do the slightly more, how do I come up with an idea that will engage and entertain 14 year old snotty kids around something really important and so you, you come up with a kind of like how do I do something educational yet entertaining you know and it's all socially active and for me that's like probably the sort of documentaries how do you bring something serious to light but yeah. trying to make it a bit more entertaining which is exactly what you do when you're writing programs to kind of entertain kids when you're younger and you probably why you meet so many people in telly along the way who, who have been in these youth groups I see it as a natural extension of you know things like RSY and Habanum and FZY is to go into TV or journalism. I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I was in Benair Kiva. I just made a little video for them about how my career came out of doing those last night of camp shows like completely yeah, and was exactly. and the that's programming what, what and whatever yeah yeah so you just because you get used to standing up first of all exactly what you say interpreting material to make it super accessible but also like just the confidence to stand up and be entertaining and, and fail because you're with your friends so it kind of doesn't matter you know they're going to bring it up for the next as long as you live but um it's that's kind of okay because the setting is so secure so also um, the, the programs that we're on had to educate as well as entertain because it was yeah. a an informal education setting so if you found a way that you could do an activity that shows life in the shtetl and how you go about collecting tokens that you can exchange for goods and things like that the kids don't realize it but actually they've learned something as well as been able to hopefully enjoy the sessions as well i was just trying to remember what his name was the french uh jew who was accused of um dreyfus (laughs) we were asked to do a session about the dreyfus thing and we hadn't really researched it so we made it like a murder mystery and we said to the kids you can admit anything into evidence as long as you can justify it with the dreyfus story which we've got someone to read out and then they were like bringing us a sock and saying I think this whatever and, uh, yeah quality education there was always that day as well when um, <laughs> I'm sure this got cancelled a very long time ago <laughs> where the leaders they sort of overnight become sort of fascistic to sort army of, training <laughs> to sort of like to recreate the 1930s in Germany the leaders suddenly go from being like really reasonable to really fascistic and like denying everyone their human rights oh, we used to do it about Russia Soviet Russia and it was called yeah. bureaucratic breakfast where you'd come in for breakfast and they'd be like you would normally go and get a bowl and so you can't have a bowl unless you've already got a cup and then you can't have a cup unless you've already got Weetabix okay. or whatever and it was looking back on it now those were the best activities but they were memorable I just feel like as I've asked Tim Florence what about you like has your Jewishness impacted on your career science wise comedy wise vagina music Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a big part of my life regardless. And what I would say is that it's it's helped me in terms of like my personality. Like I remember going to uni and everyone's like, oh, she talks so much. She's so loud and she's so confident. And I'd be like, I don't think I am. And it was then I realized just like Jews are just like more confident in a way. And we're just more open with our emotions and stuff. I found the one other Jew on my biochemistry course and we were lab partners and I'm slightly louder than her. And people would come to her and be like, why are you letting Florence bully you? She speaks (laughs) so meanly to you. Tamara, you have to like say something. You have to stand up to her. And Tamara was like, she's not, stop bullying me. And then she realized, she was like, no, we're just being Jewish together. (laughs) 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 But like, that's kind of helped in my career because it means like, I don't mind talking about difficult topics. I'm used to debating stuff. I'm in a, a field with lots of very sensitive topics, which I'm very like used to approaching. So I feel like it's helped me in sort of those like, soft skills that's really interesting really fascinating mm. and we had have had a couple of guests who've talked about how people have misunderstood when they've come to events where there are a lot of jews and they think everyone's being aggressive and angry with mm. each other i think it was paul Mendelssohn. maybe he said that a non-jewish friend came to an event and so what's wrong with all these people why are they all falling out and he's like no we're just talking <laughs> just like yeah. that's just how we talk to each other it's a thing it's fine yeah oh my god people tell me to calm down all the time do you know what was really interesting so i saw this tiktok 
which like perfectly encapsulates what this is. And she was talking about the international conversion rate of angries because she is a Scottish person living in Canada. And so people constantly tell her to like chill out and calm down. And she was like, no. So imagine zero is you're completely chill. You have not a single, a single angry bone in your body. You're happy. A hundred is like the angriest you could ever be on your whole life. And a hundred Canadian angries is like 25 Scottish angries. Right. And so when she's at, you know, 25 Scottish angries, everyone's like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, calm down. Can I help you? And she's <laughs> like, I feel fine. But when she goes to a hundred Scottish angries, they freak out because that's like 400 Canadian angries. And I heard that and I was like, oh my God, it's the same with Jews. Yeah, like, a thousand Jewish angries. Yeah, it's like 10 English angries. <laughs> Well, that's nearly all we've got time for. But how will our audience know what you're up to if you don't call, you don't write? Hmm. Normally, we'd allocate 20 seconds to do this. But for you, 30. Tim, where can our audience find you? I mean, very half-assed on social media. Very, very. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I suppose if you want to go and buy my book, it's a, it's a few years old now, but it, it's relevant, called uh, Who Stole My Spear? What's Going With Men These Days? And uh, um, I'd like to say I did predict the rise of fascistic politics taking over the world through um, uh, unvented masculinity. So I'll, I'll claim that. Yes, uh, Who Stole My Spear? Uh, published by uh, Penguin Random House. And if you buy enough of that, I might be able to go and buy some Babka or Power wins number 10 for uh, <laughs> to, to, to celebrate the good old days <laughs> and Florence you can visit with the Vagina Museum in Bethnal Green going down to some proper Jewish roots old school stuff so yeah Bethnal Green and it's vaginamuseum.co.uk or vagina underscore museum on Twitter and Instagram you can find me personally on Twitter at Flo Schechter you can also find me on Instagram at Florshech, but it's mostly pictures of my dog. But then again, he is super cute. He is. So. And only barks when I say the word Mosley. Yeah, <laughs> only barks are fascists. Well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. So from now on, I'll always think of Florence as the Jew who wishes there was a multiverse where all the biscuits were shaped like vaginas. And Tim as the Jew who wouldn't have got so drunk in the synagogue cupboard if only they'd hidden with some bubka. <laughs> Love it. And as my grandmother used to say when she wanted to end my telephone calls, you must have better things to do than talk to me, and you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing, as sadly we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our wonderful guests, Florence Schechter and Tim Samuels. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share the show with everyone you know. And check out patreon.com forward slash Jew Talking still without the G. If it's not a chutzpah to ask, we'd love you to leave us a great review as it helps other people find the show. And join us next time on Jew Talking to Me. <laughs> Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Balkin and judged by our mothers. Florence, how are you feeling? Oh yes, you're COVID. Yeah. I do have COVID. I have a bit of a sore throat, uh, but that's about it. I tested positive a couple of days ago and it's because my boyfriend tested like last week. And so I was like, okay, I know I'm going to get it. I can plan my life now. <laughs> I know I'm going to get it like five days after he tested positive. You say that, but I've, I do know couples where that hasn't happened. But then I always think, well, I wonder how close they really are. Well, I, I have huh? it and no one in my house got it, but I did give it to my mum. But... Your mum said you should give me more things. I don't think that's what she meant. Yeah, true. She wanted nachos. I gave her COVID. <laughs> COVID is the new nachos. Have we, have so, we, have have we started the podcast or is it, is it just four Jews talking about health concerns? Or is that the podcast? <laughs> that's every Jewish podcast. <laughs> <laughs> health, health and food. <laughs>